So today is uh, part two of a four-part series, and the title of this sermon series is called Life on Mission. And last week we looked at the model that Jesus sets for us as an example of how we are to live out the mission of our lives as followers of Jesus. We often hear the word missionary and we think of somebody who goes to another country and preaches the gospel and everything, but, but really, in essence, once we give our lives to Jesus, we become missionaries. And so today we're going to look at how to travel a successful journey as we live out this missionary life that we are called to. And what we must understand is, from the very beginning, is that God did not create us to live our lives for ourselves. Prior to meeting Jesus, we are usually living our lives for ourselves. And then after meeting Jesus, we're living our lives for him. Our lives are dedicated to him and we live our lives for him. Remember last week we talked about the four categories of people that Jesus came to set free. That we also are to bring the good news to. There's four categories of people and then there's a, a number of just different categories that people fall under that. So it's the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Jesus said, I have come to set them free. And, and, and under poor, it's just not, not financial. It's spiritual. It's mental. It's, it's, there's all kinds of things that fall under that. Captives, blind, oppressed. And the thing that, the reason that Jesus, I believe that God cares so much about people. Remember, the, the religious leaders, they tried to trap Jesus into some things, and he said, listen, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came for those who need to understand that there is a God who created them that wants them to become healthy. And it starts with the spiritual. And his heart goes out to those. He identifies with those the most. And the healthy, he uses and he works through. He says, I, I, I want to work through you. And so today we're going to find out how we can join him in that process. Because we, too, are supposed to have a heart for those who need to find the freedom in Jesus. We were made for the mission that Jesus calls us to join him in. We were created to be like Jesus. We were created to serve God and to serve people. As we serve God in life, we serve people as we go through life. Jesus is our king, but he's here to serve us. Isn't it funny how the king of the universe, the king of it all, the creator of it all, and, and we have the audacity to say these prayers like we're kind of bossing him around, but he's okay with that. He's all right with that. And we're created to be like him. See, here's the thing. This is on the, the bookmark for our anniversary. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. When you bring the good news to somebody who's hurting, that is a beautiful thing. You are bringing beauty into their lives. The kingdom of God crashes into their lives and changes them for the better. And so, let's take a look at this. How does all this work? Well, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave the mission to his disciples. 
And this mission is for us as well. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 for most of, of, of the sermon, but we're going, to, we're going to jump around to some other verses. Acts chapter 1. Listen to this. Here's what Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Amazing. But he told them, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses. And, and here's the thing, this mission, this is a mission that he told the disciples that is for us as well. And there's several layers to this mission. So the power of the Holy Spirit, that is much more than being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when we ask Jesus into our lives. When we finally come to the conclusion that I need somebody more than myself to help me out, and that person I need is Jesus. We invite him into our lives. We become filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is called the fruits of the Spirit become evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, patience, kindness. I think that was all of them, right? Faithfulness. Those are things that begin to happen on the inside of us, and we notice this. We have more love for others. We have more joy within ourselves. We have more patience and more self-control, more kindness, more goodness. And these are things that happen on the inside of us that people begin to notice as well. But then being, filled, being uh, uh, the power, having the power of the Holy Spirit is different. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we desire it and we ask for it and we get prayed over and it happens in a powerful moment and sometimes it happens on its own. Sometimes it happens when we get water baptized at the same time. In this instance with the disciples, tongues of fire came down from heaven and fell upon each one of them. And, then, and what happens is then we move in what's called the gifts of the Spirit, the power gifts of the Spirit, uh, uh, speaking words of knowledge and words of wisdom, prophetic, discernments of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, having great faith, doing miracles. Those are what are called the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then there's serving and helps and, and finding your, your place within the family of God, within your church family that's a part of the big family of God. And then what also comes with that is the power within you and the boldness to share your faith with others. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we become a little more powerful and a little more bold and a little more aware of what's happening around us spiritually. And that's what Jesus was talking about with them right now. And then there's some more layers to this as well. He said, then you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's personal, it's local, and it's worldwide. So, so you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, meaning for us, you will become my witness to those around you, your family, your neighborhood, those you see at the store, your hometown, your, your co-workers. And then local, you do a little bit more traveling. You go outside your hometown. Um, Kim is taking a trip to the Appalachian area, a team to the Appalachian area of West Virginia this June. Which, by the way, there's still time, there's still spots for that if you want. Talk to Kim. And that, that's local. She's going to go to an area that's four or five hours away and bring the good news of Jesus to people who are living in an oppressed area. Our student ministry team goes to a thing called, it's a summer, it's a, it's a youth camp called Generate. And it's, at, um, it's all over the, the, the country, but we go to one that's at um, Cedarville University. 
And, and they go in the area, they go in Xenia and Springfield, and, and they help just rehab houses and just be a part of the community, preaching the good news. That's local. And then worldwide. This church supports three missions worldwide that, that we are dedicated to supporting. Uh, uh, Brazil, water filters in Brazil, wheelchairs in Vietnam, and, and feeding children in Haiti. And so that's what a part of this, this missionary uh, journey is in life. And so, so how do we how do we live a successful journey presenting the good news of Jesus as we go through life? Some of us are only going to do the personal part of it. That's, that's all we can do, and that's all we're called to do. Some of us will do personal and local. Some of us will do all three. God needs everybody in every little area in order to, to, to fulfill uh, his mission in calling all those to him. And so, how do we do that? Well, as usual, Jesus gives us the example. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 for most of, of today's uh, message. And then, like I said, we'll jump around a little bit. We're going to, just going to read a little bit at a time here. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. 72 people he sent out. Your new King James says 70. Some versions say 70, some say 72. There wasn't a mistake in there. There's just different manuscripts out there. The point is, he sent them out in pairs. I mean, it's kind of obvious. He didn't want to send them out alone, but he could have, right? But he sent them out in pairs. So I'm thinking, why? Well, because God did not call us to him to do life alone. We were not meant to do life alone. He's sending them out on a journey. And he's saying, listen, you're going to go to these towns that I plan on visiting later. So I want you to kind of prepare the people for the kingdom of God that's really going to come crashing in when we get there. You're going to come back and then we're all going to go back together. But from the very beginning of creation, when God created Adam, the man, he said in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will create a helper that is just right for him. So he creates the woman, Eve. How about Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach down and help them up. One person's by themselves, they're going to be in big trouble if they fall. Or then Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know, as followers of Jesus, it is good for us to have people in our lives who can speak to us in a way that we will listen to them and not be offended. You know, accountability is not judgment. It's somebody saying, hey, I care for you, and I see some things going on, and I'm just wondering if maybe you might want to be careful in that area of life. When we have one or more people by our side, we also have more confidence, right? We have more support. We have someone that we can share ideas with. Like, I think every one of my ideas is a good one, but there's something also inside of me that says, maybe it isn't. You should probably ask him. And then you should probably ask your son, because he's going to give you the honest truth. I ask my children, 
If I really want the honest truth, I ask them and they'll tell me. It's a good idea, it's not a good idea. But also, we have someone to look out for us and us for them. You know, it's amazing how God brings people into our lives in the kingdom that we would never normally find ourselves hanging out with, right? And we're like, next thing you know, like we're good friends with somebody. Because God brings people together. I, I, I don't know if this happened or not, but I wonder if Jesus was like, I'm going to pair you two up, I'm going to pair you two up, I'm going to pair you two up, and you two. Because he did it on purpose. He, he put people together purposely. I don't know, maybe. But you know where else we can find friends like this, people like this to go through life with? Life groups in our small groups. You might be in a small group and you might say to yourself, I really like these people. And then you're like, you, you, you find a friend, right? A good friend in a life group. Also, again, it's funny how God just brings people into our lives. You know, funny story, I remember I was doing this mission trip and, um, years ago, and I remember I'd come home from these meetings, we were getting prepared, and I would tell Kim, I was like, you know, I'm really excited about this, but this one guy, man, boy, he's really, he's, he's kind of he's rubbing me the wrong way. He just, he just, he was always grumpy, and I think there was one meeting where it was like he, he said something to me, and I was just like, seriously? And then, of course, guess who I became really good friends with on that trip? And on that trip, the Holy Spirit kind of brought some things to my mind. There was stuff he was dealing with, things in his life that were just, you know, he was unsettled in his spirit, and we became good friends. So anyways, and then that's what God does. So all right, let's continue to read then. He sends the 72 out, and then jump down in verse 3. He says, now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor any extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Interesting. Did you catch that little warning there? You will be seen as prey. As believers, as followers of Jesus in the world, we are seen as an enemy. And there are wolves out there that want to devour us because we are seen as weak. We are seen as sheep. But also, no money, no traveler's bag. I, I think that was the version of a fanny pack. <laughs> no extra shoes. I don't want you to take anything, guys. Just go. In the previous chapter, chapter 9, he sends the 12 disciples out with the same instructions. I want you to go. I don't want you to take anything with you. Just go. And then later on in Luke chapter 22, he sends them out. And he says, get your sword. Have some money with you. Why now? Why does he not want them to have anything with them? Because he wants them to learn how to be completely dependent on God for their provision and their protection. Don't worry about it. You guys are going to be out there. Here's another thing, right? You guys are going to be out there carrying out this mission that I am calling you to do. And I, Jesus, I am going to be back here praying for you. As you rely on the Father for your provision and for your protection and for where you're going to go next, I will be praying for you. See, as a, as a, as a life group leader, we are probably praying for those in our life group on a regular basis. 
as a pastor or a leader in a church. We, I am constantly praying for everybody in this church, and sometimes God specifically puts certain people on my mind, and I'm praying. We all probably have people standing in the gap for us in prayer. Which, by the way, speaking of prayer, we have a life group starting up. Ted and Noemi, put your hands up here. So Ted and Noemi, they help out in our cafe. They're starting a life group in, uh, this, uh, in a couple of weeks on Wednesday nights that's focused on prayer. Ted and Noemi have the gift of intercessory prayer. And so they're going to be doing workbooks. If this is the kind of thing that intrigues you, come. if you can't find them, come talk to me. I'll get you connected with them. But the same principle applies to us. Listen to what, listen to this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Don't worry, this is Jesus. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He's not telling this to the 72. He's telling this to a large group of people. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own troubles. Today's, Today's trouble is enough for today. When we seek first the kingdom of God, We will have everything we need. What does that mean, seek first the kingdom of God? How do I seek first the kingdom of God? Man, you start conversations with Jesus. That's what you do. You start talking to him on a regular basis. You ask him to help you in those areas of your life that you're struggling in. And if you don't have any areas of your life that you're struggling in, you ask him to show you those areas because you're fooling yourself. We all have areas that we struggle in. You read the word on a regular basis. You become involved in the church. You look for those around you that you can share the gospel with. That's how you seek first the kingdom of God. When you sell yourself out to Jesus, Jesus says, I will take care of all your needs. Our economy right now is right? Is anybody concerned about that? I am, but yet I'm not, because I live on God's economic plan, right? I'm not concerned about what's happening out there. I know that God will take care of our family. Number one, because we tithe. We give our first 10% to the church, and we do our best to seek the kingdom in all we do. We're not perfect, but we do our best. And that's all God is asking. But then Jesus tells him, he says, listen, don't greet anybody on the road either. I don't want you talking to anybody on the road. You've got to, you're given a destination to go because I'm going to visit that town later on. Don't greet anybody on the road. Well, isn't that kind of rude, Jesus? Like we're supposed to be presenting the kingdom to people. Well, here's the thing. In that culture and at that time, to greet somebody could take an entire day, maybe even an overnight. It meant that you shared stories. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? How are you doing? Who are you? Tell me about yourself. Hey, come over to my house. Let's have a meal. It's getting late. Stay the night. 
Jesus knew that, that there would be that, that temptation to hang out with people that you meet on the road, but you are given a destination, and I want you to get to your destination. Jesus wants them to stay focused on the mission. And, and again, you got to use some wisdom. Like, should I hang out here for a minute? Is God, is this a, 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 an, a, a divine interruption? You've got to use some wisdom there. But we also, see, here's the thing. There is a world full of hurting people who need to hear the gospel, and we have to stay focused in life. The, one of the biggest reasons, the main reasons that, that we do not, that people do not see what's going on around them is because they are distracted. They are distracted. Yes. I'll, I'll be the first one, no, Kim will be the first one to tell you. If my phone's out, you just don't even bother talking to me. I'm distracted. We get distracted. We are a distracted people. And, and you know what? It's not just in American culture. When I go to Brazil in the Amazon region, guess what? Same thing. So it's everywhere. We've just become distracted. And Jesus wants them to stay focused. Because what happens is when we're not focused, we miss out on the mission that God has for us. We miss out on the call that God has for us because we're not paying attention to what is going on around us. We miss out on that personal level of it all. Do you know what this is called? Being cross-eyed. Being cross-eyed. Pastor Dave did a sermon years ago, and he also, he also I have been privileged. I have all of his leadership teachings he gave them to me. I asked for them. But when we went from co-leading the church to me leading the church and, and him retiring, I had this thought, like, like, I need that. I need that leadership. And I read that. I just read it the other week. I read it probably once every couple of months. Jesus was cross-eyed. Even in Luke chapter 9, there's people that want to come follow him. And, hey, I want to follow you. And, and, and he said, yeah, come on. And one guy says, well, let me go bury my father first. He goes, meh, you, you let the dead bury their dead. Like, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. He was focused on the mission that he had ahead of him, and it was the cross. It's okay to tell somebody no when you need to stay focused. It's okay to have a plan and to stick with it when you need to be focused. It's called being cross-eyed. You're focused on the cross. You're focused on the mission that God has for you as a person in his kingdom. Listen, Jesus was cross-eyed. Listen to this. Listen to this in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, a little bit of verse 1. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You know, every now and then I do that. 
I think of what it is that Jesus did for me. The hostility of sinful people. And yet being nailed to that cross in pain and agony, he forgave them all for what they did. Prior to that passage, it talks about throwing away the, 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 the sin that so easily ensnares us and the things that trip us up and weigh us down. Jesus was focused on his mission. He was focused on the cross. He was cross-eyed. And he expects us to be as well. Focused on him. Focused on who around us is hungry and thirsty for the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So let's continue in Luke chapter 10, verse 5. Then Jesus tells them, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live here are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be a blessing. And I think that we know that that is not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes we get caught up in stuff, and then we say things we wish we didn't. It, it's not easy, right? Listen, we are to be the ones who bring an atmosphere of peace. Bless the home we enter. Bless the room we enter. You have a meeting at work, pray about that before you get in there. Lord, let me be the best representative for you that I can be before I walk through that door. Before you go into work, Lord, let me be the one who brings the atmosphere of peace. Before you go visit your neighbor who you're so nervous about inviting them to church, Lord, please go before me so that I can be a blessing to them. I mean, that's seeking first the kingdom. That is saying, God, I know that it is not my will being done and it's not in my power I'm doing this, but it is you who I'm asking to go before me and pave the way so that I can do what I feel you are calling me to do. And it isn't easy. Listen, I'm just going to throw out four, but go right ahead and Google Bible verses about peacemakers. Listen, Romans 12, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Hebrews 12, Work at living in peace with everyone. Psalm 34, search for peace and work to maintain it. Matthew 5, God blesses those who work for peace. When I hear the word work, I hear effort. You have to put forth the effort to work for peace, to live in peace, to be the one in peace. And I'm, I teach from the New Living Translation, so Matthew chapter 5 is the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Words are powerful. Especially when we're sharing the good news. And the initial words that we use will set the tone. Listen, this is just this is my personal kind of way to go about this. It's better to start with words of affirmation, words that bring peace, than judgmental. Than to call somebody a sinner. I'm not the biggest fan of the phrase, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. I, if I tell somebody, if somebody tells me that, you've just, you've just characterized me and you don't even know me. 
you're telling me there's something about me that God hates. And, 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 and I understand that is a, it's, it's a way to win people to the gospel. It, it is. So people feel that that is, that is uh, you know, they're calling to do that. I call it the turn or burn, right? You're going to hell if you don't repent. But for me, and, and, and some people would disagree with, with my, um, with, the, with the way I, I would do it. I would rather become friends with somebody and, and maybe sit down, maybe they drink, maybe they do things that I don't agree with, and sit down and get to know them and learn about them before I call something out about them that I disagree with. I mean, I, I, I think that's like, what do you, you catch more bees with honey? Is that how you do that? Because here's the deal. People don't need to know what they're doing wrong. Most people know that there's something that's not clicking here, right? And even if they don't know, guess what? They don't know. And it would be better for them to hear it from somebody who has become their friend than somebody they don't even know. Like, for instance, when Jesus came upon somebody, he blessed them by creating an atmosphere of peace. He would start out by letting them know that he understood what they were going through without actually saying anything. Like, think about it. The woman who was caught in adultery, okay? Religious leaders bring this lady, I mean, caught in the act. They bring, him to, they bring her to Jesus, and he doesn't do anything. He kind of waits it out, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around, everybody's left, and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go in peace and sin no more. He, he, he got under all of the things that she was dealing with. Did she do something wrong? Yes, of course. Did he understand that there was something within her that maybe she was dealing with and struggling with? I also have to believe that when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, that something spiritual happened and you felt it on the inside. Think about uh, the woman at the well, right? Jesus is sitting there, and he's waiting. He's at the well, and this lady comes up, and, and he tells her all about her life. What was she married? Four times, maybe? Five? And the guy you're living with now is not even your husband, he says. And she's like, whoa, who is this guy? But he created this dialogue with her, and it was a theological dialogue as well, because she knew some theology. But he, he began the conversation from an area of understanding. Think of the woman who had an issue of blood and, 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 and <clears throat> pushed her way through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. She was unclean. She was not supposed to be in the crowds. And he called her a daughter and forgave her of her sins and healed her as well. See, Jesus... Oh, what about this one? How about Zacchaeus? Uh-huh. I know, he forever has been labeled as a wee little man. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> he was hated. Tax collector, cheat, steal, liar, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today and have dinner. The whole town was like, what? Jesus sat with him, had a meal with him. Spent time with him. 
So that's what I'm talking about. When we become friends with somebody, before we tell them, you know, for, for me, I was really messed up, and I was reading the Bible for almost a year before I even came to church, and God was changing my life. And, and you know what? He didn't care because he knew that it was going to take time. And that's what we have to understand as well. That's the point I'm trying to get to. Listen, Jesus would offer encouragement by praying with people, possibly healing them, forgiving them of their sins, and then letting them know that everything is going to be okay. The woman caught in adultery. It's going to be all right. Just stop doing what you're doing. You'll be all right. And then, and then there was that human contact of touch. He would hug people, shake their hands. A leper, he would touch the lepers. Think about what that means to a person who feels like society has thrown them away. Think about what that means to a person who feels like they've got nothing left to give. And somebody comes up and loves on you, comes alongside of you, hugs you, gives you that sense of security, that sense of validation. See, we validate a person by creating an atmosphere of peace when we start from an area of understanding. We encourage people when we offer prayer with words of hope. We create the human connection with a handshake or a hug. Or often, what I'll do when I'm praying for somebody, I'll, I'll say, if I, don't, if I don't know them, really, I just do it with anybody. You mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? And then oftentimes when I do that, I sense the presence of God moving through my hand. I, don't, I always want to ask them, do you, do you feel anything? But sometimes I sense a tingling or some heat or something. It's the power of God moving through me, using me to change somebody's life. And I've got to believe that that human connection with the kingdom of God involved is more powerful than anything we'll ever imagine. As explained in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. It, it refers to, in, in the passage, that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So Jesus understands everything we're going through. That's why I think it's better to become friends with somebody first. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. The difference is he didn't sin. He walked this earth as a human being just like we do. He understands what we're going through. He understands our weaknesses. And when we can extend understanding to others, it brings comfort, encouragement, and even hope. And it blesses that person. It blesses that person. And quite possibly gives them a reason to keep going in life. And then verse 7 in Luke chapter 10. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. 
Jesus is saying, listen, when you get to your destination, stay in one place. If they accept you, if your blessing stays there. See, the journey of a life on mission for Jesus means that we must be intentional on investing in others. If we're staying in somebody's home, we're going to invest in them, right? We're going to create a relationship with them. And by doing this, the kingdom of God becomes available. Our life on mission will not be a successful journey if we do not invest the time in building relationships with others. Our life on mission will not be a successful journey if we are distracted all the time. And we definitely cannot reach others for the kingdom at a distance. God himself came to the earth in the form of a man to invest in the world he created by building relationships and bringing the kingdom of God to a personal level. Listen, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. So the Word became human and made his home among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God couldn't reach mankind from a distance, so he came to earth and dwelt among us. We can't reach people for the kingdom from a distance, so we've got to get in there. We've got to go out into the world. And this is why Jesus told the disciples to stay in one place. When you find a home that, that welcomes you, stay there. Because this is how lasting relationships will be built. Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes the most Christ-like thing we can do is be present for somebody. We get all tripped up thinking that we need to have the right words. Sometimes to just simply be there for that coworker is all we need to do. Sometimes... Sitting with a friend through their struggles and trials is what they need most. I stopped saying a long time ago, I'll be praying for you. What I say is, can we pray real quick right now? Do you know what that probably does to that person, whether they're a believer or not? You just took the time to stop what you were doing in your life to pray with somebody. I believe God honors that more than anything. Your, your prayers later on at nighttime probably help too, but when you say, can I, can, let's just pray about that. And here's the thing. We don't always need to have the right words to say. Just being present with someone in their hour of need can bring the hope that they need to get through the trial they're going through. Philippians chapter 2 says this, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Next verse in Luke 10, Jesus says, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Well, what if I don't like that? <laughs> you know, what if you're in one of those countries where they eat like live, you know, sea creatures and stuff. 
Uh, see, I picked Brazil, and we, there's a lot of meat and rice and beans, so I'm good with that. But here's the deal. We must learn to adapt. We have to adapt. You know, again, when I go to Brazil, so I go there every year, right, for, for, this, for this church. I've been doing it six or seven years. It's not my culture they need to learn. It's their culture I need to learn. I learn to adapt, and I learn to live in the environment that they live in. Because I want to become a part of their world. I want to become a part of their way of life. And it's the same everywhere. To build lasting relationships means we must learn who it is we are bringing the good news to. You know, Americans, we're, we're uh, uh, what is it? We are, uh, we're inventive. We're, uh, you know, we always see a way that we can do things better and do it like this and do it like that. But when we're in a different country, that's not how it goes. We need to learn to adapt. We need to learn their culture. We need to learn the lifestyle. We need to learn what it is that's important to that person, and then we build the friendship accordingly. Again, it's not me that somebody else needs to learn. It's them that I need to learn. How can I minister to somebody if I don't have an understanding of where they're at in life? How can I minister to somebody successfully if I'm not adapting to their surroundings, to their way of life, to their culture? Because when we do that, we're telling them that they care. We're telling them that they're important to us. I want to learn about you. You know, when I'm in a conversation with somebody, there's always there's things that pop up in my head and I want to talk and talk and talk. They don't want to hear that. They're telling me about them. I need to listen and learn and adapt and move accordingly. Because that validates the person. And it tells them you care. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is writing this. And he was Jewish. And prior to this passage, he says, when I'm with the Jews, I do the things of the Jews. When I'm with the Gentiles, I live like a Gentile. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Gaining an understanding of where a person is in life and building bridges with those we perceive as being different with us is how we share the good news of Jesus. It signifies there is a place at the table for all of us together as we do this thing called life in the kingdom of God. Amen? A little bit further in verse 9, Jesus tells them, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Church, there is all kinds of sickness around us. Everybody has hidden wounds, certain struggles, certain sins they're dealing with. Some are like so secret we won't tell anybody. Certain addictions, certain things that have happened to us in life that we carry with us that causes insecurities, fears, and worries, and hurts. 
There's a lot of pain in the world that people are carrying around and nobody knows. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. When you become friends with somebody and you create an atmosphere of peace, an atmosphere of understanding, and you get to know that person, sometimes they'll open up to you and you can bring that healing. Jesus said, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. You know, when you bring healing to somebody, emotional, spiritual, physical, the kingdom of God has just come crashing into their world and you were the vessel that God used. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus is saying that we need to be aware of the hurting people around us. Find that need and fill it. Find that problem and usher in the solution. Because the healing, the inner healing, is what will change a life. And we start by letting them know that we understand how they feel. We care for them. We make ourselves available for them. And we offer the relationship with Jesus, who is the one who can take that pain and heal that hurt. We don't do it. Jesus does it. We introduce them to Jesus. And, and, and without using the exact words, we say, the kingdom of God is near you now. Welcome is for all. And then we bring life to a whole new level that they've never experienced before. And that is a life with Jesus. So we'll, we'll end it with this. This church, what we just talked about today, is our mission. This is what our journey in life should look like as believers. This is how we learn to have the eyes of Jesus and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as we go through life moving in a naturally supernatural way. We will notice those around us who are in need of hope, purpose, forgiveness, and healing. And by doing so, listen to this, God will strengthen us to continue a successful journey. Last verse for the day, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you that you choose each one of us to carry out the mission, the purpose in our lives, God. Before we were born, you had the purpose for us in mind. And the moment we called you into our lives, we, we invited you into our lives, we said, Jesus, I need you. You said, now, that purpose will come to fruition. And I thank you for that, Jesus. And